Welcome to the Business Balance Podcast. I'm Emma Langton, Mindset Coach and Hypnotherapist, and each week I bring you conversations and coaching about getting the balance in business. So we talk about mindset, strategy, boundaries, balance, and a whole lot more, so you can create a brilliant business life and still enjoy time off. You can find me at www.emmalangton.com where you can join my newsletter or book a call with me to have a chat about how we can get this to work for you in a personalized way. Now this week, I'm bringing you a conversation with my very first special guest, which I'm really excited about. Today, I'm joined by Tina Lee MacDonald. Hi, you're right. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's so good to have you here. Tina, would you please introduce yourself to my listeners? Just tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, okay. So I'm Tina. Um, I have been running my own um, leadership training business for about three years now. So I go into companies and I run your kind of standard training sessions for presentation skills, uh, building effective teams, just those kind of people who are just starting off in management or companies that want to help their leaders just kind of engage with their teams better and things like that. So that's the kind of bread and butter of my business. But the, the passion that I have and the, the things that I'm really engaged in doing myself at the moment is I'm also working with our younger generation. So the kids of high school age, kind of into college, that aren't quite meeting the standard education GCSE levels in maths and English and things like that. And I'm kind of helping them to, to realise that there is still career opportunities for them. And I spend time working with them, making sure that they they believe in themselves a little bit more and they understand that regardless of their academic grades, they have as many opportunities as everybody else in the world. So that's what I that's what I'm doing kind of at the moment. And I really love that you're doing that that additional thing because those young people are are they're our future, aren't they? And um you know, as a parent of, of, of kids with special needs, which is why I talk a lot about getting that balance in being able to run your business and do everything, the, the pressure of home life and things like that. There's so much pressure on children at school as well. And the, the government, I could get on my soapbox totally, but <laughs> the government puts so much on a high expectation. And what it does for them is that they never quite feel like they can achieve because in schools, they're always getting... Um, right here's you know this is how well you've done in this work and here's what you need to do to be better so they never feel like they've actually achieved they never can sit there and go yeah that was a great piece of work because there's always you know even if they're a and a star students they're always getting told here's how you do it better here's how you improve it so they never quite feel it's that never quite feeling good enough and and it's it's a massive bugbear for me yeah what it is that you see with the young people that you go in to see well, I think it's the, the, the kids, the students see the same. And what's really hard is it's, I'm a parent, I've got two children, both very, very different. One very social, kind of, you could put in a room full of people she doesn't know and she'd come out with 500 new sort of Snapchat friends. And another child who's very academic and could spend his whole life not talking to anybody else but me and the dog. So two very kind of different children. So I've seen their 
their education journeys from both sides and it's they've both been taught very differently you know my son when he goes to school gets lots of this kind of he's always the child that is getting a certificate coming home gets postcards coming home does the readings and the school assemblies and all of that kind of thing and then my daughter who was the, the one who was more socially and was more practically learning she has completely amazed us since joining college you know she's left school gone to college and she's like their best student college couldn't praise her enough they love her she's done a placement at a residential home for elderly people some with dementia and she's amazing at what she does but it's taken her till she's 17 you feel like she can say that she's amazing at something and that's really sad you know and the kids that I work with in schools it doesn't matter how they word it and how they try to position it you have average achievers and underachievers and they rephrase it and but it is always going to be top set bottom set and it you know, and the kids know that, you know, because they see that the other students they're with, you know, if you're in the maths lesson with the children who don't speak very good English, you know, you're in the bottom set, you know, and then you feel like you're in the bottom set. And the top set maths get taken off on these trips to Cambridge University and the bottom set don't. And so even without, and I get the school have funding and, you know, there's, no point in their mind taking these children that are never going to have the opportunity to go to that university. But the way I see it is that they, they still need that engagement. They still need that praise. Maybe bottom set maths is the, is them trying their very hardest and then putting 150% of their brain activity into a subject that they find really difficult. And we're calling that an underachiever. Yeah, exactly. And this, you know, it, it sets up their mindset for the rest of their lives. And obviously, because I work with mindset, and this is where our lovely government is not quite grasping these kinds of things, you know, and we, you know, you mentioned about helping these young people to believe in themselves. And a lot of the work that I end up doing is about people feeling that they're not quite good enough, that they're not believing in themselves, or that they, I get a lot of people um, with like imposter syndrome, yeah. Um, and, and so this, it might think that we might think that this, that this goes once they leave education, but it doesn't, it stays with them. Yeah. You know, I've worked with people, I worked with a guy who was like, he said, Oh, I'm just the guy from the back streets of Bradford who made it big in the, in the big city. And he was in um, a big company, um, a big national company in London, but he was working so much harder every single day to just feel like he was keeping on a level. Yeah with everybody else beside him and never saying anything. So then they get to sort of exhaustion or burnout or they just go, actually, I can't sustain this any longer. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I had the same. So I got a D in maths and English. Um, and I found that I would tell people that as almost the first thing I would say at work to justify myself. I worked really hard as a manager to work my way up. And in the end, the firm that I worked for paid for me to do this like online test to retake my maths and English. And I got a, a B in English and a C in the maths, just so I would shut up about it. Because it was like <laughs> everything that I did, I would say, I'm really good at that, but I found my maths and English. I'm really good at that, but I found this. And in the end, they were like, oh my God, you know, this was so long ago. You're, I was carrying my GCSEs when I was 25, 26, like that would still hold me back. 
So I did this online test and when I got the results, I could no longer say I found my maths and English because I'd passed the equivalent of it. And I had a level six ILM in leadership and management and I was still, I'd say, yeah, I've got that, but I didn't do well in maths. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like saying I'm really pretty, but you know, my little toe's a bit weird. People don't need to know that, you know? I would constantly kind of feel like I needed to let them know there was something wrong with me just, you know, to kind of even out that. But it, at the time I thought it was this lack of confidence, but it wasn't. It was the, the belief in myself. If I told people my maths and English wasn't very good, then I felt like I was like even in the playing field. And I was, if I tell them now, then no one's going to find that out later. And I carried for a really long time this need to tell everybody my faults so that everything I earn, I really felt like I'd earned it because I was always frightened that they'd realise later that I didn't have this skill and they'd take that away from me. And I did that for such a long time. And it's only really recently that I've stopped doing that. Yeah, exactly. And that worry about being found out is really, really strong with an awful lot of people that I work with too. Um, And, they they either kind of do one or two things they do what you do so they're always going yeah yeah but here's my flaw or they're dismissing the achievements and going yeah but you know it's a bit like when somebody said that's a nice dress oh but i've had it ages type thing yeah. or this old thing and we we dismiss the compliments or we dismiss the things that we do really well because yeah. it's hard for us to accept that because we've spent so long being in that place of not quite good enough or not believing that we're you know that we're good enough and you know what you've done there is what I hear a lot of and it's like well I'll tell you my flaws now so that I don't get found out later yeah or I'll tell you my flaws now because sometimes when we put it out there we're going to test whether we're being accepted or not yeah and I saw it as like a protective layer and I used to say oh I'm a typical cancerian it's my shell you know it's it's my kind of defense all that kind of rubbish that I would kind of use to justify it but really what I know now is that it was it was more a case of do you know what if I say it then you can't and then you can't hurt me so you know I would make the jokes about being rough and you know my posh friends I'm the rough friend I would tell people the rough estate I grew up on they don't need to know that you know it was you know it's they don't even care and you'd see in their faces they're looking you kind of thinking I didn't ask you that you know why, why are you telling me all this stuff and it was, you know, this is where the joke I say about this kind of verbal diarrhea that I had was, you know, the minute someone would say anything nice to me, I would kind of go, yeah, but I wet myself when I was three. You know, it was like, I felt this need to kind of say all this derogatory stuff to almost bring it all back to reality. And if I did anything really good at work, I would have to even it out with some negatives to kind of, you know, because when I was at school, I was average in everything. I wasn't in the lower stuff in every, some things I was, not everything, PE definitely, um, but I was never in top set of anything. And I was once put into top set science and I asked to be moved back to the middle set because I didn't want the pressure of being in top set. It wasn't that, I didn't want to be moved down again. So I moved myself down so that they wouldn't. Yeah. Um, that's how I was at work and in relationships you know I'd go out with somebody and they'd say oh you look really pretty and then or you look really lovely in that dress and I would have to kind of find a fault or you know pick a hole in myself somehow or completely ignore it 
Yeah. And that's my husband used to get really kind of angry with me. You know, I would, he'd pay me a really lovely compliment and I'd kind of ignore him, kind of almost, you know, don't make eye contact, don't draw attention to it, you know. <laughs> Which are all really typical kind of avoidant factors. And it's interesting that you've now said that you um, you recognise that they were excuses, because I think that's something I talked about in the in, in the self-doubt episode, I think it was episode four, um, that really, I'm saying in the nicest possible way, really, that they are excuses. We're making excuses. We feel like we're doing justification. Yeah. But reality is the kind of excuses. If anybody's actually listening to this and, and finding that they're making that, then go and grab the um, the free download that's in that episode as well about self-doubt to self-belief because, you know, that will help help some of those listeners. But you, what kind of hurdles did you sort of overcome then in order to improve um, this belief in yourself, Tina? Or was it just one sort of big realisation? I think that there was definitely one big moment that kind of there was lots of little hurdles where I would have said oh yeah I'm dealing with it or I'm changing that but then there was it's a little bit like when you fall in love and then people say to you when it's real you know you know and you have all these dodgy boyfriends beforehand that you think are real and then when you actually find your soulmate it's like oh yeah that's what they all mean I had these lots of little hurdles where I thought oh yeah I'm I, I I'm overcome that or I'm or I'm overcoming it and then I had this one big moment where it was such a huge thing. I actually felt it all disappear and happen. So lots of little hurdles were um, when I started my own business and I kind of met people like you and other kind of online business people where I started to do well in my business and I was doing things good and people were kind of giving me really positive feedback and because it's work you can't you know I, I can't say to a client they go oh that was an amazing session I go nah that was crap really weren't it you know they've just paid me for that you know so there were certain moments where when you are your own boss where if somebody pays you a compliment you just have to kind of accept it because by making that excuses, you're telling them that actually they've wasted their money working with you. And that's not really <laughs> healthy for, you know, an entrepreneur. Um, if anyone's doing that, stop, because it's really bad. So, <laughs> exactly. So there was lots of little moments like that where I would kind of, I would feel really awkward and feel really kind of like physically would sort of, feel like I needed to move around because it felt really weird I was taking these compliments people leaving feedback on my website and things like that where you have to accept that maybe you're doing really well and then I got an email and and you'll remember because of how excited I was and then there, and I did the whole I emailed them back to check it was actually me that they meant uh, there's the excuses there when I got nominated for an award now I've never been nominated like for anything like that before. Um, in previous jobs, I had people that would kind of, you know, we did awards and things and, you know, I, I didn't get those probably because I was constantly telling everybody how actually rubbish I really was, uh, which is probably why I didn't get the awards. So when I got this email saying that I'd been nominated for a We Are The City Rising Star Award, I was really shocked and the fact that it'd come from some of the kids that I would, was working with just meant the world and I actually was excited by it and then when I put it out on my social media and said look I've been nominated for this award you have the option to nominate me as well if you like you don't have to obviously you know all of that kind of 
no yeah. pressure. I, I don't know who's nominated me who hasn't so if nobody nominates me it's no big deal I don't mind I'm just happy with the one nomination I've got all of that stuff that I put out on my social media and I had about 150 people nominate me and I was that's like it. wow that's you you have to accept that maybe you're doing something really good so there was a couple of little things like that where I started to actually feel quite excited about what I was doing and I couldn't really escape that maybe I was doing a good job and I started to say things like I'm doing really well at this and those phrases don't come out of my mouth very often so <laughs> there was those little steps that happened and then I got the email to say that I had won in the award and I was down to the top five in uh, education and academia and when there's 35,000 nominations and you get to the top five there's a moment where you have to accept that maybe they're not you know maybe you are okay at what you're doing you know they can't all be wrong but there was still that little voice in my sh on my shoulder and I remember kind of saying to my husband I'm a little bit worried in case they've got it wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah is it really me that they mean? And he was like, are you serious? Are you still kind of doubting yourself? And I was like, well, no, I'm kind of not. And I kind of am. I didn't want to get too excited by it. And I remember ringing my mum. And my mum's lovely because she's a sort of person. She's very proud of you, but she'll, she'll be realistic with you. So you, you never get to be kind of too big-headed. She's always sort of the, the grounding around you, which is really what you need a lot of the time. And I remember kind of ringing her up and saying, you know, I've, the email says winner and she's like right I, like, I don't want to tell anyone in case I've misunderstood it yeah like, right so I, I understand you don't want to kind of put all over your social media I've won and and then on the night you kind of go to the awards evening and it's it, you're not a winner you're a nominator kind of thing but you know the emails all say winner you know that's that's a good sign and then she went but you're still in the top five Tina you know that's huge and I was like, yeah, that's, that's true. So then the awards evening came and I got a new frock and I went and I had to go on my own. So I didn't have my husband with me or anything like that because the tickets were just for you. Um, it was a celebration of the winners. Wow. So this whole time, I'm, so I'm completely on my own. I don't know anybody there. I, the, nobody out of the rest of the people in the room, there was nobody I know from business connections. I'm completely on my own going to London for the day. And I was really crapping myself. <laughs> the whole time, there's this also this little shoulder thing that says, when you get there, the security might go, you're not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> there was still that, that yeah. there. Um, and I arrived, I arrived nice and early. So, you know, I looked like I work there and I'm one of the waitresses kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and I got there and there's this whole thing where you sign in and you get a little badge that says you're a winner and you, you know, you're given champagne. And this whole time I'm kind of, I'm looking around at all the people that are there and I'm talking, networking, and I'm frightened of telling anybody what I actually do. Because you're, you know, there's people there dressed in, you know, defense outfits like RAF, outfits and things and you know they're like inventing new things to go in aeroplanes to help save lives and I'm like mm, I help children write CVs really well you know it's how about I just don't talk about myself at all and I just listen to you you know that was how the evening started but then people knew who I was 
and they were coming up to go oh you're you're Tina I've been really looking forward to meeting you what you're doing is amazing me you no (laughs) book are you sure no there's another Tina here I think I think you mean her the one that's like built a robotic arm I think you mean that person you know all of this was happening all the way through the evening and then we sat down for the kind of the food and the awards bit where they call your name up and they they talk about what you've done and all of that kind of stuff and that's kind of when for me the penny dropped and I was sat with the people who had sponsored the award who'd read all the nominations and they were saying really lovely things and I went up and I got my award and it was a real award and it had my name on it so I hadn't like you know definitely won it was definitely me (laughs) And all of a sudden, you've got like the managing director director of the Times newspaper coming up and telling you how wonderful you are. You've got, you know, people with OBE after their names coming up and saying, oh, I'd really love to kind of talk to you. Here's my card. Can you drop me an email, when, you know, after this week? I'd love to have a chat with you and what you're doing is amazing. And there's only so much of that kind of love you can take before the penny really drops. And I walked into that room feeling, you, you said the imposter syndrome, walked in feeling like I don't really belong here. You know, maybe my award is like, you know, the, the kind of the one that they give, they have to give somebody, you know, we have to pick someone from the street, you know, so we're, you know, diversity is involved and all that kind of stuff. And, and you walk out feeling like, actually, I really did earn that, that award and I did earn my place in there. And I am one of those hundred women. And that for me, I haven't lost that mindset since. I don't, I really can't see me being able to, because every time that imposter syndrome starts to come back, literally my stomach flips and that feeling of excitement from that night all comes flooding back because it was amazing. And, you know, there were people in that room who are doing amazing things knew who I was and thought of me the way I thought of them and when you have a hundred women plus the sponsors all telling you how fantastic you are you you kind of start to believe it um (laughs) and for me that was like my biggest that was my aha moment and I remember ringing my husband and kind of going oh my god I'm I'm doing really well aren't I and he's at well, we all know that. <laughs> Finally, she's you're like a year behind the rest of the world, you know. But it was that fear of looking cocky. You know, I, I don't like people with misplaced confidence. These people that kind of go, oh, I'm the best salesperson in the world and I am really amazing at what I do. And I sit there thinking, actually, I don't, I don't think you're as great as you think you are. Or actually, you know, you might be a really great person at this, but you're not a nice person. I don't, I didn't want to be that person where I'm kind of going, I am, you know, I am one of the top hundred women in the country and I am leading the way for women in education because it just sounds really pompous and I didn't want to be that person. And what I've learned is I don't have to be pompous to believe in myself. And that's that's that moment. Absolutely. And there's, there's so much that we can take away from that really because you know, one of the things that I say to people is that you need to keep gathering evidence. Yeah. You know, we need to gather evidence that creates doubt in our own mind because our own mind is like our strongest, most powerful force. Yeah. 
So we need to keep gathering evidence and we need to keep gathering it and keep gathering it. And as you've said, you know, okay, so there was this email and then there was another email and then there were the votes and then there was another email and then there were some people in the room and that's you keeping gathering evidence. And I think when I work with people, they underestimate how much evidence they need to gather yeah. to, to support the actually, to, to, you know, to create doubt in their minds that, and, and, and support actually I am okay or you know I can do this or I am equivalent to or whatever it is that we're sort of whatever doubt we're cracking yeah because we need to keep challenging that belief and it needs to and then it keeps going and it builds momentum you know so you still got there on the night thinking you might end up carrying that tray but the more that you spoke to people give out the hors d'oeuvres yeah <laughs> glass of wine anyone um yeah. That, you know, but it builds momentum and it builds momentum. And that's what happens with people because as well, because we're wired to notice those negatives. When we begin to notice the positives, then we can, it builds on it and it grows and it grows. So it, it gathers momentum. Yeah. So eventually we're left with no other option but to believe yeah. whatever it is. You know, I am good enough or, you know, I am a winner or, or whatever it is. Yeah. But we've also got this lovely... British um, kind of belief system, really, that, that, you know, I talk about a lot, you know, don't show off and, um, you know, speak when you're spoken to and um, all those sorts of things that are kind of drilled into us as, as children. That means that we do struggle to talk about what we do or we do keep quiet about these things. So we don't get somebody, we don't get feedback then. If we don't talk about it enough, we don't get feedback. Yeah. And do you know what? I've, I've always been one. I, feedback for me was about how I could develop yeah. so I even use feedback as a way of making myself better and as soon as you say I need feedback to make myself better what you're saying is where I am right now isn't good enough yeah and it's it's yes it's right you want feedback too because you always want to be better there's nothing wrong with that but it's how you use those words to manipulate yourself and I know people that would say, I want feedback because I want to make my, my program better or I want to make sure that I'm delivering the best service I can. But deep down, they already believe that they are doing good enough. And I, I always say, you know, to, to people that I work with, you know, as a, as a parent or in a job, you can only be as good as you are with the information you have on that day. Yeah. You know, I make a decision as a manager based on the information I have today with the people I have in today tomorrow the decision might be different because the people that are off sick are different and the people who are in are different but when it comes to you as a person you don't allow yourself that freedom it's like I know I have to make the best decision for every possible outcome and I did it to myself as a parent within 30 seconds of my daughter being born. I had to be the best parent there was. We were finger painting when she was two weeks old. So no one could say I didn't do things with my child, you know, <laughs> ridiculous expectations. Um, and it was, but I was so frightened that I would miss that milestone or that, you know, when she was 17, she'd say, mom, I don't know how to finger paint because you never did it with me, you know, and it would cost me millions in therapy because I didn't read a book with her and I didn't watch the tweenies with her and I didn't do this with her and I didn't do that with her. And, and then they get to 17 and you realize they don't actually care what you do because it's all about what their friends say anyway. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you think, oh my God, all those years of, you know, let them eat worms, don't let them eat mud and all of this kind of stuff that you've done 
to try and mold this perfect person and you know you don't need to because actually and and this is probably the first time I'm saying it in this kind of environment but one of the things that I'm I'm saying to myself knows I'm enough yeah and I'm not a woo-woo person but I was talking to my best friend at lunch this week and I said to her I have finally realized that the person that I am I am enough I am a good friend I'm a good parent I'm a good wife I'm good at my job because I care enough to try to do the best I can every day that is what's enough you know I may not get it right all the time I may not be the best parent every day but I care enough to try to be the best parent every day that is enough exactly that and we're like that you know as a parent or as a as an entrepreneur as a as a business yeah. person you know as a as an employee yeah. as an employer you know we need that message and what you were saying there about looking for looking for feedback on where we can improve that brings us back around to what we were talking at right at the very beginning about these children that they need to believe as well you know because we can believe in ourselves and and do that never give up we can have that phrase yeah you know and that's fine yeah but often people can't see kind of the how to apply that to them. Yeah, and you know what? I, w I wouldn't have understood it. And if I'd come to you three months before the awards evening, I wouldn't have got it. And I would have said to you, I, it doesn't make sense. I can't do that. And I would have struggled with it. For me, I think, like I said at the very beginning about, you know, when people talk about, oh, you know you're in love when you're really in love. Yeah, there is a moment when you're stood there and you kind of think to yourself I get it now it's like a penny drops and for me that was about half past nine third glass of red wine <laughs> I kind of sat there holding my award in a room full of people and I thought I'm actually pretty good at what I do <laughs> you know it was like that that moment kind of dropped and all of the stuff I'd been doing for years before was like you said it was that evidence gathering it was those foundations i needed to do those little wins to be able to appreciate that that moment that it happened um in the same way you need to make mistakes as a parent to realize that you're a good parent because you care enough that you acknowledge that they're mistakes um the fact that when i speak to these kids at school and i say to them you know you are 15 or 16 or 17 you haven't yet had the opportunity to get it wrong to know when you get it right. So if you don't get your GCSEs right now, that's okay. You know, as long as you have revised, as long as you have tried, the fact that you're not meeting the government expectation right now does not make you a failure. And one of the things that I say to, to the kids I work with is the government changes their expectation every year. So you're not a failure, you were just born three years too late. Because had you took your GCSEs three years ago, you'd have passed. Exactly. exactly. And you can see them kind of look and I go, so when you go to work and you're working with people who are 50 and 40 and 30, your level of education is the same as them. Because they're seeing English is the equivalent of a D now. Yeah. So actually... Don't try and be them. You already are them. Just the level of standard of pass rate is different now. You know, and the government do this thing where 
you know, a C is based on the, the number that everybody else gets. Yeah. I say to, to these kids, if everybody in your class is really stupid, you could get an A. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nuts, isn't it? It's that yeah. benchmark about what is it that you're up against and there's this kind of bell curve, I think they call it, where, you know, they, the 20% the in the middle is, is average. So these kids who are underdeveloped or underachieving, they've just got one or two points less than 30% of their class or 20% of their class or whatever. And I say to them, don't measure yourself based on your academic grades. And, and you know, my whole thing is, you know, not all education is academic. You know, I want you to base yourself on, do you know what? I would much rather I manage teams of about 25 people and the people on my team, I would have really educated people and I couldn't stand some of them. They were horrible people. They weren't very nice to work with. They weren't team players. They were very selfish. And I had people who weren't the brightest, who made lots of spelling errors in their letters, who needed that extra guidance and support. But I would have a whole team of those people because they're the ones that would cancel lunch to help me out. I'd come back from a meeting, I looked really stressed or really upset because I'd been in a crappy meeting. They'd go and get me a coffee and just put it on my desk. They're the people that I want to work with, not the Harvard graduates or, you know, the Oxford graduates who clock in at nine, clock out at five and couldn't give a damn about the rest of the team and their workload. They're not the people you want to work with. And I spend a lot of time with these kids saying, it's your personality. Your CV gets you a job your personality keeps the job. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, and um, that's one of the other topics on, um, on one of the recent podcasts is I talk about, um, I've talked about people that drain you and um, drains and radiators is my favorite subject with people. Yeah. So the drains are the ones that, you know, that are, that are not supportive or that kind of do me, me, me and things like that. And then yeah. it's important that we surround ourselves with people that, that, that fill us with warmth that's why I call them radiators yeah. or that, that support us and lift us up. And we need that whether we're in a working environment, in a school setting, at home, running our own business. That's how we met, being in yeah. that supportive environment, um, you know, and talking to each other and making, you know, it's never too late to make new friends. It's never too late to find people who do support you and who do believe in you or pick you up and keep you going when you, you know, when it's feeling a little bit rough at times. Yeah that's the kind of things that we need yeah definitely and these what you've got to remember is these kids from school are they've just gone through 11 years of 12 years of school where they are told that they have to learn the way the teacher teaches and that's not against teachers i'm i'm not kind of digging at those i feel so sorry for them because they are yeah. having to do a job that most of them don't actually want to do that way you know, and you can see the frustration in some of these teachers. They become teachers because they want to make a difference. And then they're put in a box and told that they have to teach a certain way. So it's not against them at all. But when you go to work as a manager, you have to manage your team in line with the learning style of your team. But yet at school, you have to learn the way the teacher teaches you. Yeah. So you have to sit in the class and you have to learn a certain way. So you, they're, they're at school 11, 12 years being told that they have to comply and they have to fit a box and they have to wear a school uniform and they have to learn a certain way and you get to pick your subjects. But remember when you pick your subjects, you have to pick from the choice they give you. And then you go to work and we go, well, we want you to be creative. Exactly. 
And it's like, these poor kids have no idea what creativity is. It's like, well, okay, tell me what you want and I'll be creative about it. It's like planned spontaneous, you know? Yeah. You, you can't you can't do both. You can't plan to be spontaneous, but that's that's where they come from. And you know, when they talk about their CVs, it makes me laugh. You know, we say you, your CV's got to stand out, and they go right, okay, you go, but don't make it more than two pages. Make sure you don't put this in it. Make sure it looks like this. It has to be in Word. Don't put it in red or pink or blue or green or you know, and make sure it's on thirty mil paper. And it's like, well, how creative can they actually be? Exactly. The recruitment agencies are saying your CV's not right because it goes on to three pages. You have to do it in uh, font 12. Yeah. I know, I know a girl I work with who did her CV in a pop-up book because she was going for a job at a school. Now, I guess she got that job because the school thought that was amazing. However, when she actually gets that job and she goes to the head teacher and says, I want to do this with my class, they'll go, no, we're not allowed to do that. They will. So she got the job in creative. Yeah, this is what I say. We spend, they spend, and, and particularly poor teenagers, they spend so long trying to fit in. Yeah. And, and to conform and um, with the school environment and with being a teenager and the friends and everything else. Yeah. And meeting these needs and getting these expectations. And then as soon as we leave, you're supposed to stand out and be individual and be remembered. Because when you go for that job, you yeah. don't want to be middle of the road with every other applicant. Yeah. Or when you're in that workplace, you don't want to be middle of the road with every other applicant. If we are entrepreneurs like us, we don't want to be middle of the road because when we're putting out our message and, and how we work and our information, we need to be standing out to the people that we want to talk to, not middle of the road fitting in. Yeah. So we need to have that, that kind of belief in ourselves that what we're doing is okay, yeah. you know, and what we're doing is right for us. And if you look, if you go, if you do the school run and the girls and even the boys now, they come out, they all look the same. You know, exactly. they've all got the same haircut, they've all got the same school bag, they've all got the same, same jackets. They, they look identical. Yes, the uniform makes them conform. But then because of this need to be the same, they've all got the same haircut. You know, you have three types. You have ginger, brunette and blonde. You know, <laughs> that's about as, as diverse as they get sometimes. And sometimes, like my own child, I'll be like, that looks like Shannon. Is that Shannon? You know, she looks like four of her friends. And even down yeah. to the Snapchat filters. You know, that makes them all look even more identical because now, you know, they all look like dogs sticking their tongues out. It's just, yeah. it's, and then they go into the big wide world of work. They go into a meeting and their boss is like, right, I want you to be creative. And these, these kids just don't, they don't know how to be. And it's, no. you know, but that's my, that's a different soapbox. <laughs> it is a very different soapbox. So if we just finish up then, what one piece of advice or what action would you give to my listeners um, about, about what they should do around, say, their belief or, or anything like that? I think for me, as somebody that has very recently come through that light bulb moment, I would say know that it's coming if you haven't already got it. You know, if you're somebody that doesn't believe in yourself at the moment, don't worry too much. It will happen. You're not going to be like that forever. Um, but it is down to you to find that belief you know your evidence gathering is going to be what other people say and I know we should be of a don't care what other people think but at the very beginning a lot of that evidence gathering is going to come from other people's acceptance of you but what I would say is take every little thing as evidence 
every bit of feedback you get that's positive don't give it a negative reaction just accept it accept it as a gift if you like and and, and keep it and then just keep building on that because the more of those little things you can accept the quicker that belief comes and and it will you know um i had lack of belief in myself for a long time and it it was a very short period of time that that belief happened so if i can get to that point then you know pretty much anybody can and i think my biggest piece of advice is that just accept those compliments just don't fight that need to to hand it back or you know kind of rebalance it let the scales tip a little bit in your favor and accept those that little piece of feedback those positives that you get the nods the thank yous you know the little rewards all of those kind of things accept them and enjoy them oh i love that I love that. What a perfect way to end. So we could keep gathering evidence, accept all the compliments. This is a Ivy thing that I work with and believe that it will come. Oh, yeah. I love that. Thank you so much, Tina. So if people do want to get in touch with you, we'll put um, your website details in the show notes. Thank you. Um, and if you've enjoyed this episode of the Business Balance Podcast, please do go and leave a review and hit the subscribe button so that I can see you again on the next episode. Bye for now.